T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's 9.30 in 716. The Diocese of Buffalo whistleblower speaks out. And the diocese and bishop respond. I'm simply a faithful Catholic who did what she believed she had to do. What Siobhan did in Buffalo could be done by every administrative assistant to a bishop in America. Siobhan O'Connor is truly an American hero. I still care about you, Bishop Malone. I'm Tim Wenger on 930 in 716. Most of Western New York and certainly most of those in the Diocese of Buffalo now know who Siobhan O'Connor is. Once special assistant to Bishop Richard Malone, now whistleblower or reformer, as she would put it, calling attention to alleged misdeeds within the diocese and by Bishop Malone in covering up the burgeoning priest abuse scandal. On a rare, bright, sunny October Tuesday, O'Connor and a panel of advocates stood outside the Catholic Center as O'Connor took question after question from reporters. Unlike my former boss, I will take your questions. And with that, nearly always looking down and nervously emotional, O'Connor picked away at the questions for nearly a half hour. I didn't expect it to be as emotional walking up here. Um, I was glad that there were so many of you and I appreciate your being here but what was so emotional was just that this was a very familiar place for me I spent three years here I, I spent a long a lot of time um, in the chancery and I really devoted my life to working for Bishop Malone and I used to come across here all the time to mass and it's been really hard for me to go to daily mass I used to go every day and I'm trying to get back to that um, so this is just a very um, very important spot for me. It's also the place where I talked to Bill Whitaker for the first time. Um, this is where my sister was married from out of this beautiful church. So this is always going to be a very emotional corner for me, especially because I love the people who work in that building. I love them. And Patrick, if you could just tell them that I still love them. And I'm sorry that I've brought difficulty upon that building because I know what those dark days are like. But I just don't think we're going to get to a place of light unless we get through this darkness. Thank you. Yes. Well, I, I really don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I know a lot of people have reached out to me from different um, different parishes, asking for whether it's advice or um, guidance. I think a lot of Catholics are looking to to discern what we can do because the lady usually is not in a position of any particular authority. Uh, we do have, though, uh, a canonical responsibility to hold our leadership accountable, always with respect and always with charity. But, but we do have an important role to play, and I think this is a time when the laity must come to appreciate that and then to act upon it, again, always respectfully. But I'd like to take a leadership role, uh, one that I never expected to take, but because I know what it's like inside, I hope to be able to help people who are still doubting or struggling. I think that's the most important thing, that we would be united. Right now, I think the laity are, they're still reeling from this. I had eight months to figure this out. People have had eight weeks. So I, I want to be respectful of that.
but I also want to help people to understand that this is truly happening and we have to stand up and fight for the soul of our church. It's clear from the statements that the diocese has made following stories that they watch both the national and the local coverage of this. If Bishop Malone is watching tonight, what would you want him to know? Well, I would want you to know, Bishop, that I pray for you every day, and I'm sorry that I ruined the World Series for you. Um, but I'm glad the Red Sox won for you um, and my Nana. Um, I still care about you, Bishop Malone. Um, that's the hard part. It would actually be easier if I didn't care. What would you like to see the bishop do in the near future? Well, unfortunately, I believe that his credibility has eroded to such an extent that I don't believe that he can continue to lead us in this diocese. And that's extremely painful to say. Um, it's, it's, that's very surreal to say. But I just simply don't believe that he can continue like this, especially with the statements that are coming out. I can tell you that 60 Minutes they reviewed that script 60 times. They would like to know what those inaccuracies are, but they were not provided with any details. Um, so those kind of statements amount to nothing, really. And I also would say that I believe that Auxiliary Bishop Edward Grosch should also resign. We need a complete change in leadership here. I've seen it from the inside. Nothing is going to change of their own doing, their own volition. And I, I really do hope that Pope Francis can step in. If they won't step down, he needs to step in because it's just not going to get better. Now, late, late Tuesday night, just before midnight, the diocese sent out an email statement reacting to the O'Connor News Conference. Here's what that said. Bishop Malone is stunned and dismayed at the comments of Ms. O'Connor and her press conference today. Her comments directly contradict her comments to him while she worked at the Chancery and even as she left. In fact, her prior written communications to the bishop demonstrate her complete admiration for the bishop and his efforts to lead the diocese. Her comments now are plainly and embarrassingly contradictory. Here are her actual email communications with the bishop and others at the Chancery that she now criticizes. You can read those emails and memos at WBEN.com. Immediately after the press event, WBEN's Brendan Keeney and myself spent some time alone with O'Connor and her attorney. Investigations take a, federal investigations take a long time. Attorney general investigations take a long time. Mitchell Garabedian represents multiple alleged priest abuse victims in Buffalo and is also advising O'Connor. They're going to be asking for documents, reviewing documents, speaking to witnesses, reviewing more documents, speaking to more witnesses, deciding which approaches to take, speaking to collateral witnesses. So some investigations take years, never mind months. So it's a long process, but it's a thorough process because the government wants to do a good job, an accurate how, job. How do you uh, respond to people who have wanted justice for so long and now that it's so close, you know, and then you've got to tell them to be patient even longer? Like, are, Would you say that most victims are willing to be patient? The, the investigation is a ray of hope for many victims. It's a ray of hope that they've been waiting for and they've been lacking for a long time. So they see it as a positive step. And of course, any victim or survivor wants the uh, investigation to move quickly, but at the same time, they understand that the government is doing a thorough job so that victims can try to heal and sexual abuse of innocent children will stop. There has been national attention on, bu on the Buffalo Diocese over the past couple months, mostly local, but there has been some national attention. How much added pressure did the 60 Minutes episode 
put on the Buffalo Diocese to do what people consider to be the right thing? Well, I can't say what the 60 Minutes episode did in terms of pressure, but I can say that Siobhan O'Connor is truly an American hero, and what she did, I think, woke a lot of people up in law enforcement and said, hey, wait a minute, we have to look at this, we have to do something about this, because these are crimes. Not only are they crimes in terms of the sexual abuse of children, but they're crimes in terms of the cover-up of the sexual abuse of children, and it's all in a wholesale fashion. What would be an appropriate end to this? Both of you can answer. What do you guys feel is justice? What is, is there justice in this anymore? Is that even achievable? Well, I, I don't think there's any earthly justice for what's happened to the victims, but I do believe that they can finally feel vindication when all of the records are released, when they finally can see their abuser not only named as they should be, but also held accountable for what they did. In the same fashion, the diocese needs to be held accountable for what they allowed to happen and then what they covered up, and that even this year, as recently as just this March, they had a chance to be fully transparent, and they were not in a, in a calculated way. And I believe that no victim is here for the money. Uh, people always attribute that to them, and they're asking for respect and compassion and the empowerment that comes from being believed. Is, is that what you, you represent a lot of... I believe you represent 39 people yes. from Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that a lot of what you're hearing as well? They just want to be heard? Is that vindication enough for them? That they, they're being believed at this point? Yes, they want validation. Validation that the sexual abuse was not the fault of the victim. Validation that the the uh, individual church leaders who were responsible for the sexual abuse and the cover-up will step down. They want validation that children will no longer be harmed in the future. It's a very painful process for each and every victim or survivor to go through, having been sexually abused, having been not believed, having had it uh, spoken to police and told the statute of limitations had run out and they're looking for finality in terms of validation and accountability. Victims cannot gain a 100% degree of closure, but they can, a degree, they can become survivors instead of victims and reach a degree of closure where they can live with the fact that the sexual abuse was not his or her fault as a child. I was just going to say, as well, I, I do, though, believe that the victims are absolutely um, deserving of as much remuneration as they can obtain because they weren't just robbed of their childhood but they were often robbed of the opportunity to make a living in a normal fashion because of the effects of the trauma they experienced so they were also robbed of their future they have to worry about you know being able to um, take care of themselves and support themselves so I, I, I'm not saying that they don't deserve that financial remuneration but that I don't believe that that's their primary goal Last time we spoke, you said that Pope Francis should be worried. Do you still feel that way? Oh, Pope Francis is seeing that the truth cannot be denied. The truth is, truth is overflowing. The crimes of, of de upon decades, the decades and decades of crimes are, are rearing their ugly heads, and he has to be concerned for the welfare of the church and for um, the church's image in the world today. It's time for Pope Francis to act. Every time Pope Francis speaks and he talks about the great accuser, which is his uh, example of Satan, he, should, he tries to portray the church as a victim. The church is not a victim in this matter. The church are perpetrators, and, and he should recognize that. Pope Francis says great things, but his actions don't back up what he says. And as a Catholic, is it difficult for you 
and other members of the church to kind of um, be on board with your religion when you're seeing kind of the corruption from the top down from your leaders. It is. That's been very painful for me. I also believe that it's been so hard for the priests because we know that there are more good priests than than abusing priests. So for everyone involved, laity and clergy alike, we, we need our leaders to step up and, and right these wrongs and prove to us that they are going to actually act on this zero tolerance. You can talk about that all day long, and there's lots of great sound bites, but if it's not followed up by observable and enduring action, then we can't trust them, and then it all it all dissolves from there. So I just hope that they realize that there's no going back to the old ways. We have to move forward with with the ability to trust them. You I, wish you were called something other than a whistleblower. Everyone called <laughs> a whistleblower. Is there a better word that you could come up with? Well, you know, it's funny because the diocese was calling me the leak and the mole, and I don't like those terms. And then I became the whistleblower. Um, I always thought of myself as Charlie's source. I, I like that as source, but also I really think that whistleblower is a self-limiting term because I don't want to just have blown the whistle and be done with it. I want to be part of the reform and the renewal the church needs. So I'm, I'm simply a faithful Catholic who did what she believed she had to do, but I, I would like to be a reformer more than just a whistleblower because that to me is a more hopeful term. Advocate? An advocate, absolutely, and I'm grateful to have a moment to thank the survivors. I know I've tried to mention them as often as I can because they're the heroes in this story, and I simply was acting in defense of them, and I'm so grateful that I was able to do that. We're just thrilled that uh, approximately 15 attorneys general and a, and a few U.S. attorneys are now conducting studies of the church all over the country. So now what? Where does it all go from here? Retired priest Robert Hotson, who formed Road to Recovery Ministry, an outspoken critic of the Buffalo Diocese and Bishop Malone. Well, we think it's going to end up hopefully in 50 states and all the territories. Uh, we, I, I don't have any updates as to how deep the investigations are going, but it appears that the government has enough concern now about the church and the cover-up especially that went on for decades that I think they're going to do a very thorough invest very thorough investigations throughout the country. Mr. Garabedian mentioned that this is Buffalo is not like abnormal like this is the standard. Can you comment a little bit more on that? Buffalo is exactly like every single diocese archdiocese in the country. This is the norm for the church. Uh, what what Siobhan did in Buffalo could be done by every administrative assistant to a bishop in America. If, if everyone took those documents, secret documents, and reproduced them and gave them to media and or the government, we would find exactly the same handling of or mishandling of clergy sexual abuse cases. And what exactly do you mean by mishandling? Well, we, we, we have found through Siobhan that uh, the, the victims were calling and uh, were not really being served. They, they were looking for healing and recovery and those cases were just being buried and put in secret files. And then uh, bad actors were doing things with those files that should have been given to law enforcement because they're crimes. Uh, and, and those victims should have been served immediately and believed immediately and brought in immediately and given all the resources they need to recover. That wasn't done. What the church is engaged in in terms of the cover-up is a protection of its image and a protection of its assets. 
Those two things are the most important things to the to the church. So you said you want this to be kind of revealed in all 50 states. How does that happen practically? Well, I, I think the momentum is, is picking up. Um, you know, I think the 15 are going to become 20, and then the 20 are going to become 30, etc. Uh, when... when Attorneys General actually see the depth of the corruption. You know, Attorney General Josh Shapiro got the ball rolling. And even after his initial report in August, he has received over 1,300 phone calls from other victims in Pennsylvania. So that's what we mean by the depth of this problem. Uh, it's not going to end. Of course, more to come on this, and we'll continue to follow as it comes out. That's 9.30 in 716. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of WBEN Buffalo. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.